Welcome to the Authentic Sales Leader Podcast, where we bring on exceptional sales leaders to dig into their stories and experiences, get their advice, and most importantly, learn what it means to them to be an authentic sales leader. I'm your host, Jeff Kerchick, and I suggest you grab a notebook and a pen, as every episode is packed with their wisdom and knowledge. All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Authentic Sales Leader Podcast. I am your host, Jeff Kerchick. And today I'm joined by a very special guest. Um, I've been working in the financial services space myself for the for the last decade or so. And through that, I've had the great opportunity to meet our guest today, who, in my opinion, is one of the foremost thought leaders in his space of SBA lending. Um, his name is Ray Drew. He is the Managing Business Development Officer for Fundex Solutions Group, where he's serving as a player coach, but he's also the leader of the Art of SBA Lending podcast, which is probably the de facto source of news for folks that are in the SBA lending world uh, on the internet. So Ray, thank you for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm really excited to, to be here and have this conversation with you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm looking forward to chatting with you as well. A lot of folks who listen to this podcast are, you know, folks that are in the, the SaaS community. Uh, and today you are focusing more on financial services, which is wh where, where you've had your career. Could you tell folks a little bit about yourself and your background and what you do? So I uh, went to school for marketing and uh, I, I remember taking a class in market in uh, college that was sales. And I just knew the one thing I didn't want to do after college was sales it just sounded really bad. And so I took a marketing internship that was actually for an SBA lender, though I didn't really know what that meant at the time, but that's what I do now, small business lending. And uh, they hired me full-time right out of college. I was 22 and I just started hitting the phones right there. And it really grew on me. I mean, I fell in love with SBA. I fell in love with sales, um, the whole thing. Um, something about making, you know, a hundred cold calls just uh, changes changes you if you can get through that successfully. Awesome. And for folks, uh, you know, who are listening at home, can you tell them a little bit about what is SBA lending? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I sell money, which is you would think not that hard to sell, but um, it can be sometimes because it's a commodity. Um, although, you know, I like to turn it not into a commodity. That's kind of my job, but, um, I lend money to small business owners, mainly to buy businesses, um, buy out partners or buy real estate, um, for their business. You know, um, you know, since a lot of the folks listening might be in SAS, like that was a big, there's a lot of M&A activity these last couple of years. And some of the folks on the smaller end of the, um, uh, you know, uh, spectrum with regards to the, you know, enterprise value of the business, like SBA can lend up to $5 million. So some of those transactions were financed with SBA loans, um, actually. So we did, we did quite a few. You know, it is a kind of a commodity what you're offering. And so you have to find ways to differentiate in order to stand out from the crowd. Um, you've had a very successful career. I think a lot of people in your space view you as uh, one of the most successful players in SBA. How have you been able to do that? What are the ways that you're differentiating from others and what has allowed you to be so successful? Well, the, fir the first thing that comes to mind is keep your ego in check and, and you're not doing a good job. You're not doing me any favors saying all these nice things about me, but you know, that's a big one. Um, you know, when you get to these levels, you have to make sure you 
check your ego at the door. And I do that every day. I try to at least, I mean, no one's perfect, but, um, to get to these levels, I mean, it's, it's just one of those things where you start day one and you know, nothing. And so what did I do? I saw, um, some of the more senior salespeople in the office, um, were doing very well for themselves. They seem to have really nice lives, houses, cars, families, things like that. So I said, okay, there's a path to get there. I just need to figure that out. So I had that desire to uh, get to the next level. And I mean, it's going to sound probably maybe silly to some people, but it's just, I, I've thought a lot about this and I just think it's so true. But reading books, reading books, if I really trace back my success to the root cause of why I have, I honestly think it's because I, my early boss made me read books and now I love reading books and it's really helped. Yeah. Well, what are some of the books that you think have been more, more influential for you in your career? Well, you know, it starts with think and grow rich. Uh, it's probably top book for everyone in business. Um, I just saw, uh, my buddy who's an SBA lender just tweeted that he made his 16 year old, uh, read it. Um, so it's, it's just one of those life changing books cause I didn't grow up with money. And, you know, when you enter into a sales role, you have the potential to earn, you know, unlimited upside, we like to say. Um, so early on, I was just doing a lot of cold calls, um, to, um, referral sources essentially. So we don't, we didn't call like businesses and say, Hey, do you need money? We called commercial real estate brokers so that when they sold the building, they would recommend me for financing that sort of thing. Um, as well as I, I feel that the inbound calls as well, but you know, my goal every day was to wake up and try to make a hundred outbound cold calls as a 22 year old who did, knew nothing, who said, you know, if somebody actually said yes to me, I didn't know what the next step was, but you know, you, you, so you work on trying to sound older. Um, you work on your script, your voicemail script, you work on if, you know, they actually answer and they say yes to this question, you have this kind of follow-up response. And and if they say no, you have that. And I, I was able to, because I was the only person in that role. So I was able to create the scripts myself to make it sound like in my own voice, which is something I've always liked to do. And so I was reading cold call books. I, I couldn't give you, it was like, literally it was like, you know, cold calling for dummies. It was like just books about cold calling. Then I got into sales and marketing and uh, the psychology of selling, I think, was one. Like spin selling was another one. I read about twelve books that first year, um, and I mean, it's it's just like you pick out little nuggets and you just implement it. Because if you're reading about the things you're doing in your day to day, and and you have that mindset of I want to get better every every you know day, then you know you could definitely pick up some gold nuggets from those books and just start implementing them. Love it. Speaking of gold nuggets and thinking, think and grow rich. My favorite chapter is the man who almost struck gold. It's the person who's uh, mining and and wants to give up and doesn't realize that his next pick of the axe would have been the one that allows them to strike gold. And working in startups, that's always been influential for me personally uh, because it can be a bit of a grind, and you and sometimes you feel like you want to give up. Um, so I love those. Those are all fantastic books. Um, you know, one of the things I think that you've also done, you haven't, you know, mentioned it, but something I think that a lot of people have seen in the industry is your podcast uh, called The Art of SBA Lending. And I know for me personally, I, I speak with SBA lenders probably every single day. It's not uncommon for me to 
find people who know who you are or have listened to your podcast. So it's clearly gone a long way within your industry. Um, but that being said, uh, by having this podcast, you are also sharing a lot of your tips and tricks to people. And these are your competitors because they're people who are also funding the same businesses that you're trying to fund. Um, and so some people would say, hey, that seems a little counterintuitive, uh, but it's actually worked out to your benefit. Could you talk a little bit about why that is? Why is it that um, you, A, first of all, had the idea that you wanted to do this and B, why is it ultimately a good thing for you? There's a lot of people that do what I do and to the people that think it's counterintuitive, you know, that's the problem. You know, it's, it's the folks who are doing it, who are end up being even that much more successful. No one's doing this and then all of a sudden hurting, you know, and not closing deals. Like everyone's doing it and it's, they're getting to the next level. And I couldn't explain it. I mean, it wasn't my plan to, you know, start this podcast and for it to, you know, become it, it's a, I'm a micro influencer. Let's face it. The SBA lending industry is very niche, but it's permeated, you know, a lot of that industry. So I personally was a BDO as a business development officer, basically a salesperson. So I, my job is to go out, find business. You know, I don't get any internal leads. It's all outbound, go out to market, you know, day one, you have a phone and a laptop go. And so that, and then you find deals and you bring them through the process. Right. So that's kind of my job. And so I had plateaued to a certain point, you know, as a top producer, but at, at my shop that I was at, that didn't mean like there were different levels that we just hadn't broken through at my shop. So I knew there were that we can get higher. So I'm looking online for things. Cause I am a millennial. I'm 34 and I was looking and I was probably 26, 27, 28 during this time period. And I was like, not finding a single thing about how to become a better SBA business development officer. So I said, you know, maybe I could make that um, because I was already helping some of the lower producers in the company here and there. And I had learned things along the way and I didn't think anything other than, you know, let, I'm going to go build it. And now I, I did, let it sit on my, you know, Apple to-do list for like a year. Cause you know, I, I don't know how to start a podcast, but one, one weekend I had the time and I said, I'm going to sit down and do it. And we were up and running by Monday and yeah, I give away all my first like 40 episodes. It's just me giving like 10 minute snippets of the principles that got me here. And, uh, yeah, it does help my competitors and, uh, that said, you know, I've tripled my own business since launching it. So it hasn't quite, you know, hurt me. It's done, done very much the opposite. Yeah. So basically like what I'm hearing is, you know, kind of putting the imposter syndrome aside and also just taking the first step or probably the most important, like if you were to give advice to someone, is that what you would say or would it be something else? That's great advice because my first episode, it's, uh, I have a six. I had a sixty dollar mic from Amazon. This is like the Joe Rogan like quality mic. It's like four hundred dollars. It's actually only about I. It's like ten percent better than the sixty dollar mic, honestly. So for me to say, you know, I have to wait till I can get the big mic, that would have been stupid because my other mic, episode one, I sound great, you know. So I I spent a couple hundred bucks to get that up and running, and I've evolved the podcast multiple, multiple, multiple times over but I couldn't have gotten to this point if I didn't start at step one. Awesome. Um, 
And do your do your customers uh, see it as well, or is it mostly folks that you'd say are like people that are like fellow SBA lenders? Well, the primary audience is other SBA lenders. You know, we've pivoted to doing interviews with the industry, so you know it's it's been great. But you know, people still are searching out SBA for their business. And when you go on podcasts and you type in SBA, I actually have two podcasts. One is a little lesser known, but it's I had to put it on hold when I had a baby six months ago. But got you know, it's a lot going on when you have <laughs> a job and two podcasts. But like, people will find my my uh, art of SBA lending podcast, you know, just looking for podcasts on SBA lending for their business. And I've had people listen to it, fill out the form on the website. I call them and a couple months later, I'm funding them millions of dollars to go buy a business and fulfill their dreams. And there's been, you know, several direct instances where I can um, point to those types of situations, which obviously, you know, pay for the podcast, you know, 10 times over my next question for you, which is around like differentiation within the SBA lending space specifically. Um, you kind of talked about this earlier on. It's like, Hey, we're selling capital. Everybody can sell capital. What are ways that SBA lenders in general can be trying to differentiate themselves from their peers? Is it about like work? Is it about the relationship building? Is it about the operation itself and like the speed in which you can move. I assume maybe it's a combination of those and maybe some other things, but what are, what are some of like the top ways that you think SBA lenders can, um, you know, try to, try to, try to rise above? Well, I think there's probably four kind of quadrants that SBA lenders play in. And I, uh, decided to actually go create my own playing field over here, which is the fifth quadrant, which I'll tell you about, but the main ones in our industry, it's rate. There's people that are just going to go look for the lowest rate. There's people that are going to look for the highest leverage or you know the best loan structure. So some people go to market with how they structure the loan requests. Um, and there's execution. Uh, hey, you know we are the fastest, or we we get it done the highest percentage of time. Um, you know high conversion rates. Uh, and then there's also um, expertise like a consultative approach. I have 30 years of experience in M&A, let's say I don't, but, um, and, and, and you're, you know, there's value built in there as I'm guiding you through the process. Um, and you know, I, I like all those different things. They're all good. I, my advice is usually pick one and really lean into it. Cause if you say you are offering everything, you're just not, but the, the kind of X factor for me has been the personal branding stuff. You know, if I'm, especially from like an educational standpoint, because there is such a need for education in this space, like people, if you're running a business, you don't really know all that goes into SBA and it is a complicated kind of thing, but it, it can be life-changing for someone to, you know, start, grow or expand their business. And um, for me to put out the content, you know, it kind of positions me as a thought leader to them. I do a lot on YouTube. My YouTube videos, you know, are kind of walking people through the steps or a, a form, how to fill out a form. And then, you know, it, it just builds trust and credibility that's already built in. So that by the time they call me, they already feel like they know me and I don't really have to do like my your sales, your sales kind of um, approach is going to be different in that, in that regards. These days, uh, people are, you know, customers are able to do a lot more of their own research today than ever before, before they reach out to any brand. And so, um, 
that's a very easy win. It's like if they're looking around for you and they can find content that makes them think like, hey, these guys know what they're doing. Um, that's certainly going to make you guys stand out. Um, is that something you share with your team as well? I mean, I know you manage a team of folks and in addition to being an individual contributor, you're kind of like a player coach. Um, are you able to kind of instill that in, in your team as well? For sure. I mean, the way, you know, we hire just really good talent. Uh, so we, we, um, try to bring on, uh, just really high performing individuals and they tend not to need as much heavy coaching. So I try to keep a fine balance of what I'm instilling and when they come to me, but they, they seem to definitely, you know, see it and they're, they're going through their own processes, you know, to try to figure out where they want to go and how they want to get there. But it all comes down to like, you know, you do need to be a thought leader in the business, in the industry. And so as you start speaking more and more with different groups, going on different podcasts, you start, you know, figuring out, oh yeah, this, this is working. And then you lean into it. And then sometimes you can do something that doesn't work, uh, that worked for me and that's perfectly fine too. So, you know, I try to be a little bit, um, more, you know, I, you don't want, no one likes a micromanager. I'll just say that. <laughs> Of course. Yeah. Um, well, thank you. Uh, you. You also talked a little bit earlier, Ray, about um, asking for a referral. Um, you know, and a, a lot of times you're doing that uh, organically in some of the work you're doing. And, you know, uh, somebody will uh, finance, somebody needs financing. So you're saying, hey, I want to be the person that you recommend for that. But are there other times like outside of that where, you know, you want to go ask for a referral and like, how do you know when it's the appropriate time to do that. So I'm talking more of maybe like these less organic situations, but maybe an inorganic situation where like you have a very happy customer, uh, they really enjoyed working with you, um, and maybe they have another friend or somebody who might be wanting to, you know, set up a business or something along those lines. How do you know, like, when is the right time to ask for a referral and how do you do that? Because I think a lot of people, and at least in my industry, don't leverage that enough. They don't tap their customer base and ask them for referrals. They're scared to. Um, so how do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, it's tough. Um, you know, early on, one of my sales managers told me, um, when you finance a, tr a transaction, the borrower used an attorney, the borrower uh, has an accountant, there's a name on the tax return, whoever filed all the different tax returns of the different parties involved, and you can see who the CPA firm is. You, these are all potential referral sources for you uh, to call. And um, that's a very sales forward approach, which works for a lot of people in my industry. So if you've, so I'm gonna answer the question to provide value, but, and I'll also say, I don't do this. Um, I don't ask for any referrals. Um, and I'm probably weird in that sense, but you know, the people that do, it's like, okay, we just did this thing. We just worked on this loan and got this borrower to the finish line. And somewhere along the lines, there was some, some problem that was solved. And if you can explain to these different parties involved, hey, by the way, I know this was a rough kind of crazy three-month journey chasing down paperwork and doing all this crazy stuff to get to a finish line. But at the end of the day, this borrower had this problem that we solved. And if you have other small business clients that have these problems, just think of me when that time comes. And that makes perfect sense. And, and then, you know, because 
these for us transactions are like once in a lifetime or once in a decade type of transactions like the like very large expensive you know multi-million dollar purchases of real estate for your business which you often only buy once or buy a business or buy your competitor you know these are things that are like they're not coming up every day so for me it's always been yeah, I can ask you, but if that need doesn't come up in six months, nine months, or two years, how am I staying in front of you? Because I can't call you every week. And that's where all my marketing and content come. That's awesome. And uh, it's a great segue to the last question, because you're talking about how, you know, you, you solve the problem for the customer, in this case, the borrower, right? What's your favorite success story about a time you solved a problem for a customer? Is there a specific one that comes to mind? Yeah. And, you know, as I'm thinking through that, it's like we our job is to get to a closing table. And that is often the starting line of a business. You know, if you're buying a business and I said, all right, congrats, we did it. We got to the closing. That's day one. Now they have to go and transition and run a business, which is like hard. Right. So it's like uh, success for me is getting them to that point to be able to go through that journey. And then hopefully they have like really big successes growing their business and then maybe one day selling their business and getting a bunch of money and stuff like that. So I like working with the people that actually have a problem and need me versus like the folks who are, can go to multiple different places to get the job done. And they're just kind of like, um, maybe, I don't know. Uh, they don't need. They don't need my help. They maybe want my help. I like the people that actually have, you know, some sort of issue that needs to be overcome. Whether it's a, a credit issue or a liquidity issue or a cash flow something funky in the financials, where I have to roll up my sleeves and actually be able to get really creative and offer up a solution. Um, or it's a timing issue. You know, people are coming to me because they're they're in, they need to get it done in a certain amount of time so that. Now there's like a, a, a real goal that I can solve. So I like doing that. Um, one example that comes to mind is um, my favorite type of transaction to finance is when the, a manager in the business or like an employee in the business that's been working in the business for many, many years, often doing a lot of the work, running the business for the owner, when they have the opportunity to actually buy the business. And often uh, as a W-2 employee, you don't, you know, have a bunch of hundreds of thousands sitting around, I'll just say, to put in as an equity injection because you need like 10% to put down typically. So, you know, you can get a little creative there. And I like I like doing those a lot. There was one that I did um, last year and it was uh, someone who had become a, a recept, like out of like beauty school, became a receptionist, actually during beauty school, became a receptionist at a salon, then became a stylist and then became a manager slash stylist. So she was, you know, managing the salon and then also styling and, and stuff like that. And by the end, it, you know, she was managing the payroll, um, you know, the, the scheduling, all of that. And then the seller went to sell and, you know, we financed the acquisition of that employee to buy the business. So to see someone go from a receptionist to owning the business is like one of the best things you can possibly witness. I love that. That's such a first of all beautiful story, but I I think what you're what you're saying is like you want to work with people that actually have a white hot pain point, um, not people that you know are just um, they have pain, but you know there's no urgency to solve it or any compelling reason. Yeah, you know it's and it's a good sales lesson because there's people that come to me 
And it's like, I'm almost, I've been thinking about this. I'm, I'm trying to get to a no, right? You, it's like, I'm trying to get to a no. So if I see a, a potential problem early on, whether it's just like my solution's not right for them, I, it's almost like I'm trying to get them to realize that for themselves, because I don't want to waste my time. And if this isn't the right thing for you, I don't want to put you in the wrong position. So like, I'm, you know, some people try to kind of, they're afraid to shine a light on some of the harder parts, but I, I put it right in the forefront. I said, this is going to be a problem. We need to talk about this. And then it helps my sales cycle. Yeah. It's like you're qualifying out a deal early and kind of going by the, the expression, like no is better than maybe, right? You get to a no allows you to move on. Um, but at the same time, if there's a problem with the deal, we should either overcome that problem, but avoiding it is never going to make it better for you in the long run. Yeah. That's why I'm, I'm, you know, this is, I selling is like just one of those words where like some people just have certain, uh, ideas of when you say the word selling, but really all it is, is it's like, you know, providing the right value to the people that need it. And then just kind of going through that process. And it's like, I'm not selling it. I'm never, people think like convincing people to do stuff. Like I, I've ne never once done that. So it's kind of like just one of those things. And I'm just so glad I found this career path because it's been so rewarding. And, um, it, it have come a long way from that, you know, that class where, you know, I had to do a mock sales thing in the front of the class. And I was just like sweating through my armpits. Uh, Absolutely. Well, Ray, thank you so much for doing this. I learned a lot. Um, and uh, it was great to hear your stories. Definitely appreciate you uh, coming on to, to talk to us today. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Authentic Sales Leader Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, the best way to share your gratitude is to share the show with a friend or to drop us a review on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, keep it authentic.